I know you talked a little bit about the dream last week with Aaron and uh, the various, you know, the his, some of the history of Daniel and some of the different viewpoints on that, but also then the statue of the dream and the various components of the statue, but also what they were made of, the different, um, whether it be gold or iron or clay. Um, I want to take just a little bit different approach on the same scenario today of Daniel and all the other enchanters and wise people in the land of Babylon and what King Nebuchadnezzar was requiring of them and then uh, and what it might mean for even us today, how it might be relevant and pertinent uh, for each of us. So, starting again in chapter 2, looking at, um, oh, and I don't know, can you unlock that door, Jess, because I think it is locked. So, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dream. Sorry, had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. And then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. This is why I was saying that your segue was great because they don't need to, they just, they're going to make stuff up. Whatever, whatever the king tells them his dream is, they'll come up with an interpretation. And probably what they'll do is have a meeting together, make sure they all have the same story, and they'll interpret them and say, hey, we came up with this. It's kind of like saying, yeah, it's a nice brown bike, you know. <laughs> um, but the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turn into piles of rubber. Rubble. So it's not just that he's playing a game. I mean, this is a serious, and, he, and everybody knows that he means what he says. This is not an idle threat. He's not just playing a game with them. He means that if they don't do this thing, then he will kill them. And it's a, it's a graphic um, violence that he plans on them. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. And then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. It's his way of knowing if the interpretation is true. If you can get that part right, then I'm going to also believe that you can get the interpretation right. And the Word of God tells us this in many places. How do you know a false prophet? Well, his prophecies don't come true, pretty much. I mean, it's pretty simple, actually. But how do you know who the true prophet is? Well, his prophecies do come true. And that's why we, you know, at Christmas time, we usually spend a little bit of time in Advent and the Christmas season contemplating all the various prophecies that were made about Jesus Christ. So not only did all those prophecies, be, were they fulfilled, but they were all fulfilled in the one person <coughs> of Jesus Christ. So again, here Nebuchadnezzar is picked up on this, right? And he says, if you can tell me the one, then I think you can tell me otherwise. Otherwise, otherwise, I think we're just blowing smoke. 
And so he says in verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asked. And we said before, that was a true statement. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. So what's their plea? I mean, what's their, what are they, what's their argument, so to speak? Only, yeah. We, they made a distinction. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're asking him to, he's asking them to do something impossible. There's they're only a select one, or, you know, they would say the gods, um, according to their beliefs, but there's a, men can't do this thing. And for you to ask, no matter how great the king is, they've never asked something like this before. It's not fair. It's not fair. I mean, in the end, I think that's the, what the conflict is for these astrologers and magicians. They're saying, this isn't fair. Where, you know, King, you have created this conflict that we had nothing to do with. We aren't the ones who had the dream. We just happened to be your magicians because it was a cush, you know, cush job. And we liked, we liked giving you bogus interpretations in the past. But what you're asking us to do is impossible. No man can do something like that. This is unfair. It's an unfair situation that we're in with you. And, and yet the king is angry. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Well, now, who's in that category? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is, yeah. They are also going to be executed. Now, they have been brought into this conflict that they had nothing to do with. This is an intense, serious conflict between the king and all these other wise men. And it now includes Daniel as well. And so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends, not to get their help, to put them to death. I don't know about you, but when I remembered some of these, when I was trying to recall some of these situations from when I was in Sunday school and hearing about the dream and the fiery furnace, it seemed in my recollection that it was like, oh, these guys go and find Daniel because they think he can help. That's not the case. They went to find Daniel and the others because they were going to be executed as well. Yeah. I, I had heard, I don't, I don't know what the history behind it, but I have heard that in Babylonian culture, because of Esther and that too, that once the king made a decree, even he couldn't change his own decree. That is correct. They had, so they knew when he said that, that was the death sentence. That for was it. These guys. You're absolutely correct, Don. And, uh, and we find out later, even when these kings in later in Daniel as well, I mean, Darius, when he's tricked into throwing Daniel, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in the lion's den, he's like, oh, I wish I could change my mind. Right, right. But the decree has been issued. So again, that language you point out for us, Don, is really important. That he issued the decree that all these wise men would be executed. And even, even then, at that point, the king Nebuchadnezzar couldn't change his mind. Right? We, on the other hand, wanting to impose our Western mindset on that, say, oh, we can change our mind five times before breakfast. You know? <laughs> and so it's really a significant piece that you bring up for us there, Don. It was, it was as much as done. Just had to be carried out. And so, again, those decisions made in anger are right. huge. Oh, yeah. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, in this, he's kind of known for that. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one of his characteristics, which we'll actually come back to it in a few minutes. Um, but, yeah, so. he just made an, a decision in anger, and he escalated his conflict. 
it doesn't, it doesn't sound like uh, Daniel and his friends were consorting with the other wise men because they had to go look for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good point, Dave. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, all, even when the king called, you know, it sounds like he had a plethora of enchanters and sorcerers and wise men and those kinds of things. And so I don't know in the middle of the night if there's, you know, if you're on call. <laughs> um, or why Daniel wasn't included in that first go around, but he certainly is now included in the execution. And, and they went and had to find him. When Arach, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. See, he's got a character here. How did he first approach the chief officers when they were first brought into captivity? Discreetly. What was that? Discreetly. Well, discreetly. And he asked, you know, it was with permission. humility, and he asked permission to eat different food than what had been ordered by the king. And so now it's the same pattern. He says to the one who was sent to execute him, can I ask your permission to, can we speak for a moment? He asked with discreetly and tact, and he's not going to put the, the executioner, right? Yeah. How ironic. He's not going to put the executioner on the spot. <laughs> but he says discreetly and with tact, and I think that probably means with humility, because that's part of who Daniel is, uh, and faith. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? It almost sounds like Daniel doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that he's had a dream and, and it wasn't interpreted. Arach then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. One sentence, but it's a huge sentence. Daniel went to the king. And, is it, is and it, you weren't allowed to go without. You were not being allowed invited. to go without being invited. Right. What was that, Jess? Is this um, to point to this week of go going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean it that way, but <laughs> but yeah. I mean, Daniel was not going to just sit by and be killed, be killed. Yeah. <laughs> or let everybody else be killed. Yeah. And so he goes and on everybody's behalf. But as Don already brought up for us, even with Esther and that whole scenario, once the king made a decree, it was done. The only thing he could do in that scenario was to make a new decree to try and alter the first one. But Esther says to Mordecai, I can't just go in. You only go in if the king requests you. And if you go in and he doesn't request you or tip his scepter to you, you're as good as dead. Now, where is Daniel at in this? Yes. <laughs> I'm dead anyway. So, and, and so in that moment, I mean, courage and boldness. And you know what? As believers, since you bring it up, Jessica, how can I avoid it? If this week in the challenge is going and telling, what have I got to lose? You know, what have I got to lose? There's a lot to, to not be gained. Anyway, I think that's Daniel's mindset here a little bit. Um, so then he asked, uh, where was I? At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You gave me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You, may, you have made known to us the dream of the king. And so then, as you recall, you know, I, I thought about this later. I don't know any of you, well, Teresa, you were, Dylan, you were. Um, when I did the workshop, the six-pack workshop on prayer, I, I was remiss in not including this prayer in, in that workshop. I mean, it is amazing. It is an amazing prayer to offer those kinds of praises to our God and to recognize the gifts that he gives us and what he has given each of us, I think. I mean, when they get together, Daniel and the three, to pray and plead with God for mercy, afterwards they say, and this is what God has done. He has given us knowledge and discernment and wisdom and power to live in this life. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing prayer. I think maybe every believer should put it in their prayer journal somewhere. But anyway, Daniel goes then and he interprets it. You know, he tells the dream uh, to King, the King Nebuchadnezzar, and then he also interprets it. And uh, I didn't want to get, you know, as I mentioned, Aaron already spent a little time in that last week. I wanted to focus on something else this morning. I've hinted at it a couple of different times, this conflict, this conflict that was raging between the king and everybody else. And from the two perspectives, I'm going to speculate for just a moment. I think I have good, good foundation for these speculations. On the one hand, King Nebuchadnezzar says, right, you know what, I'm going to make this stipulation because I think you've been lying to me. I th this is actually something that's been brewing for the king. He doesn't trust his wise, you know, advisors. And so now he's been given this dream that troubles him, and he sees it as an opportunity to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do something about this conflict that's been eaten at him, right? And that's a lot of times how conflicts happen in our own relationships and with other people. Things have been brewing for a while, and then there's that one thing that brings it to the surface, out in the open. It's now, it's a hot mess at this point. And I think that's kind of the perspective of the king. He's had these things brewing for a while, and now he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna fix them, and I'm gonna. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Can you agree that that's probably, you know, at least partially the king's perspective? There's probably some other things going on as well, which we'll touch on in a moment. But I think that's his perspective of the conflict. Well, now we've already said the others, the wise guys, the magicians, the interpreters, those. They're saying things like, "This is unfair. We're being untreated. We're being treated unfairly." <laughs> we could probably make the argument that, yeah, you've been being treated unfairly for a long time and getting a lot for not much. <laughs> you know? well, um, and the dream was probably different because obviously it came from God. And so it was, it may have troubled Nebuchadnezzar differently oh, than differently any of his other... Yeah, he probably like, just wasn't suffering from know, the typical ruler nightmares, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we know that this gift, this dream was uh, given to him by God and so therefore he has the interpretation and he'll share that dream 
with Daniel and the other I think there's more, he knows that there's more writing on it, maybe. You mean the king? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then in the past, you know, yes, probably the conflict with his wise men, but it's also more at stake, maybe. Mm -hmm. From his perspective. So from before the wall, yeah, they probably are lying to me, but they, they weren't issued a death penalty for making stuff up. Right. So both and, really. I mean, it's kind of twofold. This might be seen as the, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, I, uh, I worked with a guy in a construction crew for a while, and he actually wore the T-shirt that says, I have one nerve left on the back of it. It says, mm-hmm. and you're standing on it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but so maybe for the king, it was just like, that. I've had enough. But also, like you said, I mean, this dream was different. And, and he recognizes possibly that, there's more writing on this one than other dreams. Now, again, back to the other folks that are saying this is unfair. The king, what the king is asking is impossible. And so there's anxiety, there's fear, there's, I mean, that's, that's a true sense of doom that they're experiencing. They may not have another day. Because, again, like the king, when he makes his decision, what we've learned about King Nebuchadnezzar is it's, he doesn't waste a lot of time. In, in making it happen. In fact, the guy was on his way to execute them when, when Daniel asks what's going on for more time. So there's this conflict, two sides, right? Really, the king and everybody else, they were at war with each other. Some conflict going on. Do you see anything else that would be important to mention about the conflict itself or the two perspectives before we, we move on in this endeavor? Anything else that strikes you? Just that uh, the uh, wise men and the magicians apparently, uh, when when they had a like this dream, they consort uh, uh, consorted between each other, uh, where it it seems like uh, Daniel and his friends were outsiders that. Uh, they didn't even know this was going on until the executioners came to uh, to take care of them. Yeah, good point, Dave. And I want to springboard off something you said that I think is really critical. The other magicians and enchanters and wise men would consort with one another and get their story straight, right? Get one another on their side. Boy, doesn't that happen in conflicts? Have you seen that happen in a conflict <laughs> where you got some people that are trying to get others on their side and say, hey, this is what's happened. Can you believe how unfair they are? Can you believe the way they're, um, we're being treated? Those kinds of things. He's going to kill us because we can't tell his dream. I mean, how, how absurd is this guy? And I mean, you can, right? You can hear those conversations going on. But what you brought up for us, Dave, is so important is what do Daniel and the other three do? They plead with God. They don't spend time brooding or talking about it with one another or spend any time, you know, enhancing each other's anxiety or ill will towards the king. They don't spend their last moments on earth talking about how unfair and impossible this is and what kind of a jerk the king is. They say, let's plead with God for mercy. So I think that, that, thank you, Dave, that's a keen insight. And really, it's a no-win situation on both sides. 
because Nebuchadnezzar is going to have all of his wise men, all of his counselors, all uh, uh, everybody in that kingdom that fits in that category executed. Mm-hmm. So he's still not going to have an interpretation for the dream, and he's going to have to start from scratch somewhere. Yeah, and he's still troubled with the dream. And he's still troubled. Yeah. So neither side's going to win. Good point. Yeah, yeah. A lot of conflicts are like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it feels like a no-win for either side of the conflict. But boy, the conflict rages on. You know? So that's what we want to spend the next few moments going over is I think Daniel here, uh, Daniel chapter 2, gives us some really wonderful insights on conflict (coughs) resolution. (coughs) Because in the end, right, I didn't read far enough into it, but we kind of know where the story goes, the conflict is resolved. It's interesting to me that uh, really the wise men knew what they were doing wasn't they knew that wasn't really real, right? So they understood that, and I think Daniel was in that least, well, God gave these dreams, so there was some kind of wrestling match between Nebuchadnezzar and God, because at some point, even those guys crazy, he wanted to know truth, because he didn't, he didn't trust these other gods. I mean, he didn't know the true God either, but he knew something was up, right. and he had to know that, or he wouldn't have went to that point. Exactly. He was frustrated with that, I suppose. Yeah, and so, you know, that's another uh, wonderful insight, Don, is that sometimes a conflict... So King Nebuchadnezzar is having a conflict with the king of all, right? right? King of kings and lord of lords. And it translates into now his conflict with everybody else. And that's also, I think, a, a strong reality for many of us. If you're in conflict with God Almighty over something... It's going to come out in other other relationships (laughs) as well. So thanks, Don. Appreciate that. And and our conflict with God might not be the same, of course, as King Nebuchadnezzar's was. But I guarantee you, if you've been involved in a red-letter challenge, there's been a day or two where you're like, God, that seems a little... Too close to home. Yeah. Almost maybe the words, that seems unfair. (laughs) That challenge is a little too much. You know, I don't really want to serve that person. Really? You want me to forgive them? You, uh, you want me to tell people? So we might actually be in a kind of a brewing conflict with our own God, with the God. So that will also then spill over into other relationships. It cannot not. And I think that's the thing that Daniel's showing us here. It cannot not spill into other relationships. So this thing that I've uh, drawn up for you here is not a bullseye. (laughs) Even though it looks a lot like a bullseye. (laughs) It's not a bullseye. What I hope you can look at by the time we're done is actually more like spinning dials. And that we can, we're going to fill in some of these lines on these dials. And then as you, we can spin them to see how that might help us with this conflict resolution idea. And so uh, let's see how we can work our way through this. I'm going to start in that outer white space. There's five lines uh, that we're going to fill in. And all of them are in the context of the process of resolution. Do we need more writing utensils? It's a classroom. There's got to be some, right? Those are all markers. I've got a couple. 
blue. I got one pen. This teacher must expect all her students to come prepared. <laughs> Um, that's the best I've got. What's that? Katie's good at that. Yeah. Okay. I'm not seeing any more obvious without rifling through drawers and things of that nature. Everybody good? Okay. So this is going to be what we refer to as the process of resolution. These are the outside areas. And the first one, any line you want to use, it doesn't really matter since they're all spinning dials, right, is conquer. Some people will engage in a conflict with the idea of resolving it by conquering the other person. I think King Nebuchadnezzar is a perfect example of the conquering process for conflict resolution. He's going to win by just beating or killing everybody else. And it's not just his, his wise men or enchanters. I mean, this has been his whole kingdom I mean, before he was a king and as he was a prince. It's we, we, we resolve by conquer. And, uh, and so that's, that's one of you know, his process. It's the idea of you know, winning. Somebody's going to be right, somebody's going to be wrong, I'm going to win this, you know. What was that, Jess? My way or the highway. My way or the highway would be kind of the phrase that would go along with conquering. Another line then would be quitting. Quite often we see this work in tandem with conquering, as you can imagine. Typically what happens when one person approaches a resolution to conflict, the other person will push back. And they'll try to win as well. But sooner or later, somebody gives up. They quit. They acquiesce. They withdraw. I mean, that's kind of the idea of just. And there's that old saying that says something, well, I, I just won't engage in the conflict. Right? I, don't, I hate conflict, so I don't enter. Believe me, folks, you're in the conflict. Whether you say you're in it or not, or whether you act by withdrawing or whatever, it's there. It's not resolved. Maybe it's buried. Maybe it's put on a back burner. Maybe it's just simmering away, waiting for that next straw on the camel's back, waiting for that next troubling moment. And, but it's there. So quitting doesn't make it go away. Quitting doesn't resolve it. But as I mentioned, quite often we see conquering and quitting as a tandem pair. And then what happens is it builds a pattern, especially in relationships, or I'm thinking like marriage relationships or parent-child relationships, is one person's always trying to win and the other person's always withdrawing anytime there's a conflict. So as you can see there, while I'm talking about these are processes of resolution, these are not, not healthy ones, but we see them here in Daniel. We see both of them here in Daniel. The king's going to conquer and eventually the, the otherwise, they... They give up. They withdraw. They're like, okay, we're dead. Um, going around a circle to find another line, and it would be coexist. Coexist. Sometimes we try to resolve conflicts by just coexisting. Now, the ironic thing about coexisting, it looks like, you know, it's just two people living side by side, not really getting along. Your way is your way, my way is my way. But, it actually takes a ton of agreement. Coexistence does. Agree to disagree. That's the idea, right? <laughs> but now you've got to find all the things you would disagree on so you can agree that you're going to disagree and you've got to watch those boundaries and you've got to not cross over into each other's spaces. And it reminds me of like political correctness. Very much so, yeah. <laughs> it's like our government. 
I mean, you know, it, it happens in our culture, in our community. It's, it's how we try and resolve the ongoing conflict. It can rage pretty hard at times. Um, in marriages, it ends up, you know, I've heard the phrase, well, we live more like roommates. That would be coexisting. You kind of live in the same house, but you have your separate lives. That's kind of the, the idea of coexisting. But like I said, it actually takes quite a bit of agreement. And what happens is you cross over those boundaries and it ignites pretty quick. Well, the one that I always find interesting is the bumper stickers with the religious coexist uh -huh. and all the symbols and everything. And I'm like, that's really hard to do because your fundamental values between of those are very different. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no matter how much you think everybody's going to get along, at some point you cannot coexist. Right. Right. It so it's up. kind of a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Kind of a fallacy. House divided, right? Yes. That's that term would be, it's a house divided. Um, there are times, I'll just say this, there are times, and I think actually we see it momentarily in Daniel. Mm -hmm. I think when Daniel says, goes to the king, says, can we have a little more time? I think they're, they kind of go back to their own, the king goes back to his palace and David and Daniel and his guys get together and they're kind of just coexisting for a minute. But it's only for a minute. I mean, it really, coexistence really only is about, we need some time. We need some time to figure out this conflict and how we're going to resolve it. But if coexistence can't last indefinitely, because as you pointed out first, Jess, the conflict is still there. It hasn't been resolved. The next line on that outer perimeter would be compromise. Try and resolve conflicts with compromise. This is you give a little to get a little. That's the idea. Again, I think it's tricky. I think it's tricky. Our, our first group of the wise men, they were saying, come on, king, give a little, you'll get a little. Let's compromise on this. You tell us your dream, we'll tell you what it means. So it's that idea. What they could not agree on was the middle. Where was the compromise going to take place? And the king kept saying, no, I'm not telling you anything. And they're saying, well, that's not much of a compromise. You know, you're not giving any. So how, and then there's the question of, the age-old question of, well, I think I'm, you know, am I giving more than they are? Am I, I feel this, like this is unfair, and they're, they need to meet me more halfway, that kind of, a, these phrases, right, they're familiar to all of us. And so compromise. Again, it has its place. Certainly wasn't going to solve it for Daniel and the, and the guys there with the king because they were going to reach an impasse pretty quick. Well, actually, they did. The king says, I'm not going to compromise. I am not going to give any. And so there was no, no meeting in the middle. Again, it actually takes quite a bit of agreement for compromise to work because you have to agree on what the middle is, where that compromise is going to look like, and who's going to give what, and how are you giving enough? Those kinds of thoughts. The fifth one, then, is consensus. Consensus. Which is, by uh, interestingly enough, the only one of the five where the two in conflict have now come together to face whatever the conflict is. Right? So for the king... And the others, the conflict is there's a dream that needs to be told and interpreted. That's out here. Until that point, they are hammering at one another. But when Daniel, after Daniel has prayed, pleaded with God for mercy, he comes back. And actually before that, he comes to the king. He says, can we come together on this? Can we strive for some consensus here? 
And so he asks for time. He prays to God, receives the mercy of God, and he comes back to the king and says, we're in consensus here. We're in agreement that the problem is here. You have a dream that needs to be told and interpreted. That's what we're working on, and we're doing it together. Does that make sense? All the rest of them, the conflict is actually just the thing you use as a weapon, but they're beating each other. They're beating on each other. Only in consensus do the two come together and say, let's solve this conflict. So, just those are, are the processes, I think, of resolution as we can see here in Daniel chapter 2. Any comments, questions on that before I roll on? Because we're going to run out of time and Jess is going to say, um, it's five minutes till. <laughs> okay, then that first gray ring as we come in from the outer, this is the continuous communication of love. That's what this ring is all about. So if the outer area is the process of resolution, this gray ring is the continuous communication of love. What's the first thing that happens when there's conflict? The stop, you know, the shutdown of the communication of love. Now, I don't know if the king had ever communicated much love to his people, but he sure did communicate a lot of hatred and anger in that moment. So, again, I just point out that for as we resolve conflicts, this uh, first gray area is that continuous communication of love, that we don't turn on each other, as in, you know, that uh, aggressive nature, but we turn towards each other, that continuous um, expression of love. And so what I have there is I have five lines we go around that gray area because I'm going to just highlight the five love languages. I don't know if all of you are familiar with the five love languages. Um, and they're by no means the end-all, be-all to the continuous communication of love. But I find them helpful. And so I'm just going to share them with you. They are, in no particular order, gifts, gift-giving, and then acts of service. quality time, words of affirmation, and the fifth one is physical touch. I like the five love languages because I think they encompass many ways of expressing love and, and expressing it in a way that's meaningfully received um, by the other person. Now, this needs to be done in wisdom, right? Words of affirmation need to be genuine, not flattery. They need to be spoken in the context of not trying to distract from or, you know, you know anything else. I mean, the conflict still needs resolved. But so how are we going to communicate love in the midst of that conflict? And so physical touch, it might not be the best time to just grab a hold of them and give them a great big hug, but it might be a good time to touch them on the shoulder. Does that make sense? And so um, we can do that for all of them. It's going to be like you can't say, well, hold on a minute, I'm going to run out and buy you a gift, come back with some flowers, and then we'll <laughs> see how this goes. But, you know, what, what can we give in the moment to communicate uh, love? And obviously if you're communicating love in an ongoing fashion, then when you're in the midst of the conflict too, then it, of course, is more genuine. 
and you have something to build upon. So again, continuous communication of love. The next circle in is honoring strengths and differences. That's what that, the label of that circle would be, is honoring strengths and differences. So I have four lines for you there. Because I'm just going to give, you know, the personalities have been, you know, there's numerous assessments. It's been divided up and used different ways. I mean, you can use letters or numbers or color, uh, colors, animals. What I like to do, the one I have found that I like the best in this context anyway, are precious, um, precious jewelry, gems. 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 But one of them is not a gem. It's a pearl, so <laughs> it comes from, it's not, I don't know how to work with that. But anyway, um, so on the first line of the four, we put ruby. Now, a ruby, I'm just going to give you a really general characteristics of a ruby. What I'm asking you to do is consider yours, you know, maybe where your predominant one is. Nobody ever is just one, but what's your predominant? And then also maybe somebody you might currently be in conflict with. What's theirs? So the first one, Ruby, the Ruby likes to win. They are goal-driven, visionaries, and in fact, they like winning so much that they won't play if they can't. <laughs> and so my family teases me because I only play games that I can win. I will not, I will not waste time. I will not waste, see, I protect everybody that way. <laughs> um, I don't pout. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, and the ruby is always about moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> Let's move forward. I'm not pouting right now. No. They can be bold and outspoken, but they're people of action and they strive to be productive. So think about this for a minute. I've just tried to capture some of them, kind of some general characteristics, but how does this play into conflict resolution then? If we start spinning the dials a little bit, the ruby... Just natural tendency, where do you think they're going to end up? Conquering. Conquering. Conquer. Have to win. Yeah, they got to win, including this, including this conflict. So there's going to be something to be aware of there. Now, on the other hand, the ruby also wants to be productive, wants to, hey, let's solve this conflict, put it behind us, move forward. And, and so sometimes the ruby will be like, you know, we're going to stick with this until we're done. And, and that can be a challenge as well. But anyway, the ruby. The next line would be the emerald. The emerald, their strengths are in facts and figures. The uh, organized and orderly individual. They like facts and things that are provable. Now, when, uh, I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, you know, they read the instructions before they put the thing together. <laughs> So, what's the fun in that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> However, sometimes, you know, in the Ruby, they'll struggle with communication because it's still about, hey, I'm going to tell you what I think. And it can come across kind of forcefully at times. The Emerald is going to struggle with communication sometimes because it's all about the, the facts, the figures, the proof, the I know that this is right because it's tried and true and those kinds of things. Logical. They have a hard time Very logical, yeah. Too. Um, in fact, what they might try to do is make you understand. <laughs> if I can just make you understand, then you'll agree with me. 
Um, and they spend time asking the why question, which sometimes is for information, but sometimes it feels like it's judgment. I mean, we do this, see it over and over again, you know, why'd you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I just did it, but I feel judged right now, and that kind of a thing. We do it to our kids. But they are problem solvers. Emeralds are good at problem solving, and so they have that strength going for them with resolving a conflict. But the struggle is they want to resolve it perfectly. And so that's kind of where those can go for the emerald. The next one will be the pearl. And the pearl wants to help everyone. They want everybody to be happy and get along and play nice in the sandbox. And so they'll serve, but they'll also be taken advantage of sometimes. And then it's hard for a pearl if they've been taken advantage of because it hurts. And they feel um, used at times, which then creates its own conflict. They are all about causes, and they live life by convictions. Could you be patient with me for a few more minutes? We're almost done. They, uh, they are very thoughtful and sympathetic, but they're the ones who want to avoid confrontation. So you put a ruby and a pearl together, and somebody's always steamrolling, and somebody's always getting walked over. Um, they, as, I, as I said, they want to make it okay. And, and long-term friendships are really important to Pearl, so they want to they solve these things, but they don't always know how, and they feel, feel stuck at times. Then the last one is the sapphire. Sapphires are motivated by fun. So the sapphires tend to be the coexist group, just tendencies, because, hey, let's just all get along. Who cares if you don't agree? I mean, why, do you, why are you going to spoil the fun in the party by disagreeing over something? It doesn't mean conflicts get resolved. It's just you have more fun than conflict. Um, they tend to be the life of the party. They have lots of acquaintances. So unlike the pearl who has a few close friends, the sapphire has a lot of friends but may not feel really close to, to any of them. So if that's the case, I mean, you walk away from one friendship. If you have a conflict, fine. I've got 17 others, you know. Resolving may not be, yeah. Resolving may not be the most important thing. Therefore, they can uh, be inconsistent. They're usually late and distracted, but they are good at showing appreciation and recognition. Now, those are our personalities. Let's spin the dials for just a second. We're going to have to wrap up here, so I encourage you to, to we'll get to the last two rings the next time we get together. Um, but as you can see now, I've hinted at what we want to do is honor each other's strengths. The tendency is to say things like, you just have to be right. Or, you know, I'm not going to, I don't, don't want to fight this out with you, so I'm going to leave you alone, leave me alone. Those kind of, you can see how when we spin the dials, it starts to, we can line things up with what our personality is and the person who we're in conflict, what their personality might look like. How is love being communicated? And what is the process we're going to actually use to resolve this conflict? And I think we have some great examples. So what was King? I already told you, I think he's a ruby. I mean, I, I think he's a ruby totally. <laughs> I think Daniel is more of a pearl. And he's going to, he wants to, he does want to resolve this for everybody. And so he pleads with God for mercy, which is a pearl perspective quite often. So I think, I hope it's fun um, and, and meaningful as we all engage in conflicts, right? 
So maybe this could be helpful. Well, Sorry, we didn't get through all of it, but we'll finish what up was next. the heading that you gave the very outgoing? Process of resolution. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Carol. Father in heaven, we thank you very much that you have resolved the conflict between us and you. From the beginning, Adam and Eve started out by saying it's somebody else's fault. But you stepped in and you said that you would resolve the conflict and you did so by sending your son, Jesus Christ. And so we have been redeemed and reconciled through him, through his life and his death and his resurrection. So Father, help us to receive the peace and the reconciliation we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, two quick things. Next Sunday, October 20th, is Celebration Sunday. We are celebrating the end of the Red Letter Challenge, the 40 days doing and reading Jesus' words, the red letters in the Bible. We will be having a potluck after church on Sunday, so please bring a main dish and a side dish or dessert to share. Also, following that is Halloween. On October 31st from 4 to 6 p.m., we are having our annual Trunk or Treat. This year, we are pairing with the school to host a chili feed. Please register your trunk as soon as possible so that we can make sure to have enough candy and to reserve your spot. If you have any questions, please contact the church office. Mm -hmm.